Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. A Christmas story. It's a classic. Dad, do you ever have a gift that you gave to your children where you were more excited to give it to them than they were to receive it? Usually it's something that's totally impractical and something a little destructive, usually, like uh, he was having. Christmas story, it's a, a boy and his Christmas wish for an official Red Rider carbon action 200-shot range model air rifle. And every time he told someone what he wanted, he received the same answer. You'll shoot your eye out with that kid, Right? It's a story of waiting. It's a story of tension in wanting and not having. It's a tale of anticipation, and it's a movie about expectancy and how to live between the time of wanting and receiving. Now, let me just be up front with you. I hate, and hate is probably not a strong enough word, but I hate waiting. And most of you are probably just like me. You probably hate waiting too because you're an American and we're in America and America doesn't wait for anything. We want it instantly and we want it now. Some years ago, uh, the executives at the Houston airport faced uh, a a rather difficult situation. They were receiving uh, an abundant of complaints, customer-related issues, uh, passengers lodging an inordinate Uh, number of complaints because their wait at the carousel to receive their baggage was too long. And so in response, the executives put more baggage handlers uh, to alleviate the problem, and it did. It brought the uh, wait time down to eight minutes, which was well within industry standard. But they continued to receive complaints, and so they were fairly puzzled. People complaining were waiting too long. And so they did an an on-site analysis and found out it takes them a minute to walk from their gate and then seven minutes at the carousel to collect their baggage. And so they determined, well, they're spending roughly 88% of their time, uh, in other words, spent standing around waiting for their baggage. And so they came up with a new approach. Instead of reducing the wait time, they increased the walk time. And so they moved the gate to the farthest one possible, and then started rerouting the bags to the furthest carousel possible, it meant that the the customers had about another five-minute walk in order to get to the carousel to collect their baggage, and after they did that, complaints dropped to nearly zero. Because we hate to wait, and we would rather do anything than wait. Hey, anybody else, would you rather drive a little further out of your way or sit in traffic? I would rather drive further out of my way. And every time I get yelled at by my beautiful wife who says, it will take longer to go your route than if you just sit in traffic. And my response is the same every time. But at least we're moving, right? There's just something about, at least we're doing something. And I don't think I'm alone in this hatred of waiting. Today, Amazon can get you your package within two days Tuesday, I ordered something, and I was looking at when it would arrive, and its scheduled arrival date was Thursday, and I kid you not, I thought to myself, two days? Like, two, like, are you kidding me? Hey, some of you are too young for this, but do you remember on TV infomercials, it was 
four to six weeks for delivery? Allow four to six. I don't know if I'd be alive in four to six weeks. Well, I even want the product in four to six weeks, but that was the normal wait time, four to six weeks for delivery. And now we have it down to two days, and two days still seems too long because we hate to wait. Now, living in Arizona, we know something about waiting. We just waited nine months for Bell Road to reopen, right? That was a big deal for us. Uh, and we, uh, we wait through the summer months for the cooler weather to arrive. And personally, I've been waiting for three years for an In-N-Out burger to come to surprise. That's been a long wait for me. Uh, we uh, have been waiting for the suns to be respectable again, the Phoenix suns, right? That may be even a longer wait than the In-N-Out burger. As a church, we're waiting for a new uh, building space in the future. By the way, uh, we received an email back Saturday from the owner uh, and I think we're done with negotiations. I think everything is uh, clear. And um, planning on next week, we should be signing and moving forward with this. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. But uh, we are caught this time of year in the chaos of the season. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men uh, is a great thought, but it doesn't exist, at least in Walmart and other places, right? It's just, it's chaos. That's what we surround ourselves with. Professor Timothy Paul Jones said this, that our calendars are dominated not by the honored rhythms of redemption, but by the swifter currents of consumerism and efficiency. He goes on to say that the microwave has saved us from having to wait for our soup to simmer on the stove. Credit cards have saved us from waiting for a paycheck in order to make a purchase. Ultrasounds save us from waiting nine months to find out the sex of our child. Our calendars are dominated by currents of consumerism and efficiency. We want it now. But here's our problem. God is not always efficient. At least according to how we measure efficiency. Christmas is really a story about waiting. And it's not a story about waiting in lines or waiting to open gifts or about waiting in lines to return your open gifts. It is the, the waiting is far deeper than that and goes far back into our history. The lyrics of one of my all-time favorite Christmas songs, Oh Holy Night, talks about the anticipation of waiting. It says, Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Now catch this part. Long lay the world, right? It's a period of time in sin and error pining that that we were waiting in our sin, attracted to that which brings us death and destruction. And it says, till he appeared, there, there was a waiting time until the Messiah, the Christ child, appeared. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. It's not here yet. It's, it's in the future, but it's coming. But if you want to see it, you're going to have to wait for it. And this is the story of Christmas. This is the Advent. Once upon a time in the church history, in the church calendar, there was a season of Advent. Up until uh, the fourth century, uh, Christians would even fast during this period of time, preparing themselves for the Advent or the coming or the arrival of the Messiah, the Christ child, what we celebrate uh, as Christmas. Now, Advent, it comes from the Latin word meaning coming, and it is an anticipation of the arrival or the coming of Christ. And that is what the purpose of this season was originally 
about waiting and preparing ourselves for the coming. Now, it's easy to think this time of year that the season is all about the arrival, which it is. There is a fulfillment in the climax of Jesus coming to us. But by just looking at the birth, we forget the waiting. Let's not forget the waiting that preceded Christ's advent or his coming, the waiting that marked the time before the first Christmas. All of those centuries where God's people anticipated the fulfillment of God's promise and the years of uncertainty and the years of doubt and the years of questioning God, are you really going to do what you promised? Creation held its breath in waiting for the Messiah to be revealed. If you read through the Christmas story according to our biblical text, you will see the tension in waiting. Israel was waiting for the Messiah to come. 400 years from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and the world waited for God to speak. 400 years of silence, and the world waited. When will God speak and move and be active again? An angel tells Mary that she will conceive a child, and that she shall call him Jesus, and said that he will be called the Son of the Most High, and then she waited. You think you waited to see your child, and you thought your nine months was long, imagine waiting to see the face of God. That had to be the longest nine months in history. And she waited. Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, she waited. She was told she will deliver a child, and she waited. Her husband was Zachariah, and he waited. He had an angelic visitation, the angel came and said, uh, uh, your wife is, about to, is going to give birth, and he questions the angel's report. And because of it, he kind of suffered the consequences. Look at Luke 1.18, we'll put it on the screen. This is Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? And I love the response. He says, well, listen, it's first, I'm, old, uh, I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And listen to what the angel said. He said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. That phrase right there just does something to me. I mean, how amazing. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and you will not be able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so Zechariah, he's waiting to speak. The wise men waited to see the Christ child. They received the sign. And I don't mean to blow up your nativity scene and my nativity scene where the wise men are gathered around little baby Jesus in the manger. But the reality of it is by, by the time they received the word, they saw the star, they followed the star, they, they got to their destination. It was at least a year later. They waited to see the promise of the child, the Christmas story. It is an advent. It is waiting for the coming of God's promise to us. Today, if there's anything that you're waiting on God to do for you, welcome to Christmas. It is the advent, waiting for the coming and the move of God. And maybe this Christmas there is a message for us in the waiting. Maybe there's a growth that God wants to occur and stir in us through our waiting. 
I know today we feel that if we don't have it instantly, that God is not working for us. That if we don't have it instantly, that, that God has somehow taken the day off. But much of what we read in biblical texts involves waiting. So let's figure out the spiritual discipline of waiting. I like this quote by Joyce Meyer. She says, patience is not simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave while we're waiting. Join me as we pray today. Would you just take a moment and steady your heart and fix your eyes upon Jesus? What is it that you need from God today? What is the area of unanswered prayer? Where have you been struggling? What is it that you wrestle with? And be specific this morning. Put a name, put a phrase to it. Where do you find yourself waiting on the move of God? Would you speak to us today, Father? Would you send your spirit to rest on us and to stir us about this idea of waiting? And how we can be faithful in our waiting. Would you move and would you speak and would you draw near to us? We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I want to read to you out of Mark 4. If you have your Bibles, we'll put it on the screen for you. Uh, to, uh, to follow along if you don't have it. Mark 4 is a passage about, again, waiting. Listen to what the narrative reads. On the same day when evening had come, he, meaning Jesus, said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now there's something important in that phrase. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he, Jesus, here's what Jesus was doing. He was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Isn't this the worst part of waiting The unknown, the unknown if are we really going to survive? Is God really going to come through? And you start to wonder, does God even care about my situation? How long do I have to wait and feel like God is asleep in the stern, oblivious to what is taking place in my life? How many times was this phrase spoken as the world waited for the advent, the coming of Jesus? How many times must somebody have said, God, are you sure you really have a plan for all of this? Are you really sure you have this uh, under your control? Verse 39. It says, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? 
And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And then we look at chapter 5, verse 1. The next chapter says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the the, uh, country of the Gadareans. There's that word in that last passage, then they came to the other side. Then they came to the other side. Then it implies that there was a waiting period. I find it interesting because two chapters later, Jesus puts them in the same situation as if maybe they really didn't learn something. And so two chapters later, he puts them on a boat and another storm comes against them. Now we're in Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 51. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Now this time he wasn't even in the boat with them. I think it was a teaching moment, right? While he sent the multitudes away. When, uh, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining and rowing, for the wind was now against them. Now about the fourth watch, now the fourth watch, it's the last part of the night. There's waiting again in that. Of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. And they cried out, For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked to them and said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. You have to love Jesus in these situations. I mean, here these guys are. They just came out of one storm where they were fearful for their life, even asking Jesus, do you not care about us? And and now Jesus puts them in another situation, another boat, another storm, and now he's not even with them. And the storms begin to come and the the waves begin to come against them. and, And then they think they see a ghost. The only thing that makes this situation worse is if there was a kraken, something like that, right? And so things are kind of spiraling out of control, and Jesus approaches them, and what does Jesus say? Be of good cheer. Like This doesn't seem like a be of good cheer moment to me. Have you ever felt like God was missing the full depth of your situation? Have you ever felt like you were in a, in a, in a season of life, and then the response of God was just, be of good cheer? not sure if this is a be of good cheer moment, to be honest with you, God, right now. I'm struggling a little bit. And Jesus just approaches and says, be of good cheer. But notice the, the, the next verse, Mark 6, 53. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of uh, Gennesaret and anchored there. Now, there's, there's two words I want us to draw attention to. The when in verse 53 and the then that occurred in Mark 1. When they had crossed over and then they came to the other side. There's a period of waiting for God to do what only God could do. Now we kind of pass over that because we just jump to the end of the story when, when God accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. But we miss the fact of the when and the then that was taking place. Let me ask you this. 
How do you respond when you're waiting on God to reach the other side? How do you respond when life doesn't make sense and when you find yourself in a boat that's taking on water faster than you can get it out and it feels like Jesus is asleep in the hall? Consider this question. What do you do when you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you're supposed to be? What do you do in your life? You're not where you used to be, but you're also not where you believe God wants you to be. How do you respond from the starting to the journey's end? What do you do during your period of waiting? What do you do when you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you're supposed to be? When you know that God has something greater for you, something more, and yet you're just not there yet. But you're also not where you started. You can see the shore on the other side of, uh, of, of where you're going, but you can also see the shore of where you came from, and now you're caught in the middle, and life opens up, and it turns on you. This is the journey of life. This is all of our journey. We're all coming from somewhere and we're all heading to a new destination. Jesus has called us all to a shore, whatever that shore is for your life. He's pulling you on. He's moving you on. He has a new destination for all of us. But is, is our nature. We want instant results because we hate to wait. We want to reach our destination now. We want our prayers answered now. We want the journey to end quickly. We get bored with the scenery and we ask the question, how much longer? When will it occur? On um, family vacations, uh, I would prefer uh, to drive. Now, I know a lot of people like to fly, but I, I love uh, to drive, especially I love to drive at night with a big bag of chicken nuggets and listening to coast to coast radio that's my thing now if you've never listened to coast to coast there are some crazy people on that show people that talk to dolphins and all kinds of things like that I love it I'll drive to three four in the morning if I can find that show somewhere and although I love to drive on a road trip my children not so much our first family vacation was to uh, Satan land I'm sorry Disneyland is where we were going and and the five and a half hour drive took 10 hours, not exaggerating, to get to Disneyland. And kids are screaming, and my wife and I are in a fight with one another. And by the time we arrived at Disneyland, it was not the happiest place on earth. We're changing diapers on the side of the road, and my wife just wouldn't throw them in the desert. And so the van smelled like poop. Listen, I hate to litter. I hate to litter, but I hate smelling poop more. Okay, I'm just, that's just the truth of where we were at. And, and it, this kind of thing, this thing broke down. And if you've ever been on a road trip with your kids, you, you get it. Now listen, children of today, they have nothing to complain about on road trips, right? You got DVD players and entertainment systems and Nintendo and iPads and iPods and every kid has their own captain's chair and, and you know, there, there's no who's touching me. And hey, We took road trips in the back of a gremlin. That's how we traveled, right? That's when it was rough, where the only entertainment you had was the who's touching me game. The only good part was that no one was in a seatbelt because that's how we rolled back then, right? There was no seatbelt on road trips. You just got in the car and you started going. Now, there's a common question that comes up on road trips. 
All of us are, have asked it. All of us are children have asked it. And they ask when they get tired of waiting. And we all ask the question, are we there yet? And what my kids are actually saying when they ask that question is, Dad, I've done everything that I know how to do. I've listened to my music, I've counted car, uh, cars, and we played uh, I Spy, and we played Slug Bug, and we played with the DS, and, and, and I've done everything I know, but now I'm bored, and are we there yet because I'm bored with this scenery, and I'm tired of waiting? Have you ever asked God that same question? Have you ever said, God, are we there yet? Because I've done everything that I know to do. You see, God, I, I, I've, I've, I've tried it, and, 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 and I've been patient, and I've tried meditating, and I've gone to church, uh, and I've increased my Bible reading, and my prayer time is now 3.2 minutes longer than it used to be, and I've tried everything that I know to do. I even started giving, and so God, I am really bored with this scenery. Are we there yet? I've asked that question more times than I can count when I get tired of waiting. And so what do you do when you're not where you used to be, but you're also not where you're supposed to be? And this is what the disciples wrestled with. God, God said, you know, God, you said, let us go, Jesus. You said, let us go to the other side. We heard you, and now life is falling apart. We followed you, and we believed you, and we left everything, and now in the middle of our journey, everything goes south. Look at these two words again. Then they came to the other side, and when they had crossed over. Then and when, it's, it's not talked often uh, uh, about on, on our journeys, because then and when, it implies waiting. Th- then they crossed over. When they cross over, then they came to the other side. It means that there is a meantime, a, a waiting period before then and when come into being. And that is what we struggle with. It is the meantime. It is, it is the time between waiting for then to come to now. And, and that is the question that we often ask. We want to know when is when and when will then be now. God, if you can tell me when, when will happen, then I can get through this. But we don't know that. And that is part of, of our struggle. It's, it's easy to get excited about the destination, but when the journey seems to stall is when victory is won or lost in the waiting. Our struggle is not knowing. We want answers and we want a plan and we want a solution. And God, if you will just tell me the seven non-negotiable, indisputable, uh, 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 indispensable steps that I can take to ensure that you will get me to the other side, then all will be well. And then soon, we, we begin to treat God like a video game. If you'll just tell me the password, or if you'll just tell me the combination, or, or if, if I know, is it up, up, down, right, A, A, B, C, or, or the square, triangle, whatever your controller has. And soon we begin to relate to God like he's a video game. And if you'll just tell me what I need to do, regardless of the situation, to get me to the other side, then I will continue to follow on this journey. But God doesn't relate to us like that. And if it was as simple as seven steps, regardless of the situation, why would we really even need God? 
Why would we even need to, to have any patience or any of the waiting? Because waiting is one way that we stay dependent upon God. Now, I, I read through this passage numerous times, and there's only one thing I came up with that allowed his disciples to make it through to the other side. There's only one thing that allowed them to get through the storm, one thing that allowed them to make it, to, to step into the future that God had for them, and it's simple in theory. They stayed in the boat. That, that's all that we read in the, the entire passage. They stayed in the boat, and it seems so small and so insignificant, but it's not that simple. Because we hate waiting. And after waiting long enough, our natural tendency is, God, I'm getting out of the boat and I will fix this myself. And so maybe you find yourself today waiting on God. How will you wait? What do you do when you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you are supposed to be? My advice is to stay in the boat. What are you going to do next year when life smacks you upside the head and and the bottom falls out? My advice is that you stay in the boat. What are you going to do when, when God gives you your future and shows you a future shore, shows you where you should be, but you're stuck in transit, when you're stuck in the journey? My advice is that you stay in the boat. What do you do when you're waiting on God to do blank? You fill in the blank. And God doesn't seem to be moving fast enough or efficient enough. You stay in the boat. What are you going to do when your vision is cloudy and you have more questions than you have answers? What are you going to do when your meantime is a long time? What are you going to do when when you can see the shore ahead of you, but you can't see the shore from where you came and you just seem to be stuck? What do you do when the excitement wears off and God seems distant or asleep? What are you going to do if 2017 smothers you? What are you going to do when you're tired of waiting? The best answer I can give you is you stay in the boat. You stay where God can move And God can work and God can show his faithfulness even when and while you're waiting. Maybe this is a waiting season for you. Maybe this is your advent. And maybe you're waiting for God to do blank whatever it is in your life. Maybe you're waiting on God's arrival and maybe it has to do with your physical health. Or maybe you're waiting on God's arrival in your marriage or in your job, or maybe it's a prayer for your children. Maybe it's a crisis of faith where everything that you believed about God is now being challenged and you're waiting. And perhaps it's a promise God has given you, but you're just not there yet. What will you do while waiting for God to get you where he said he will take you? What will you do when you're waiting for God to arrive. The best answer is to stay in the boat. See, here's what's difficult for me as we close. Every year, people that I draw close to go through some type of crisis of faith, and inevitably, there are those that 
abandon their faith. Not leave the church, leave Christianity. Because God didn't work for them when in reality what it was is they were in a storm. They weren't where they used to be because God really had done something quite significant in their life, but they weren't where they needed to be. And the storm came and they stayed for a while, but eventually they got out of the boat. Let that not be said about you today. Regardless of where you might struggle or what you might be waiting for, stay in the boat. David gives us ideas on how we can wait. And he says, look, we can wait quietly. I wait quietly before you, God, for my hope is in you. And we can wait patiently to be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to ask. And then we can wait expectantly. That I wait expectantly, trusting God for help, for he has promised. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what life looks like for you today. I don't know what storm you find yourself in. But what I do know is the answer. Stay in the boat. Stay close to Jesus. His promise, as Advent should show us that God fulfilled his promise in the Old Testament by bringing Jesus. And it should, it should remind us that God will fulfill his promise in coming to us. But until he does, you're going to have to wait for it. There's tension in waiting, but there can be beauty in waiting. Join me as we pray. Lord, this Christmas season we can focus so quickly on the coming and the arrival that we miss the waiting. We miss the advent. We miss the time of a world asking questions and waiting for you and wondering where the Messiah is and when is he coming and the centuries of questions without answers and struggles of faith and doubt But you were faithful. And in your time, you brought the Christ child. You brought Messiah to us. And today, we wait again. We wait for you to move. What is it that you're waiting on God for in your life? Put a word to it. Put a phrase to it. And can you wait quietly and patiently and expectantly? And can you stay in the boat? Allowing God to do what only He can do. This Christmas season, as we're waiting for you, and whatever that may look like in our lives, would we remember the advent, and the beauty in waiting. Yes, there is tension, but there can be beauty as we trust and lean on you. Spirit of God, would you draw near to each person who is waiting on you? And would you whisper 
the words over them to stay in the boat and to draw near and to stay close, to trust in your faithfulness. Would there be a reminder every day as we wait for Christmas Day? Would you remind us that you will be faithful if we stay in the boat? I pray this in the name of our Savior, our Messiah, our Redeemer, Jesus. Amen. Listen, today, if you'd like prayer for something, um, would you let somebody pray for you down front? We'll have some of our prayer team members. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, God bless you. Hey, have a wonderful Christmas. Stay in the boat. Gather family around. Encourage your family and friends. Uh, We'll do another Christmas message next week. I look forward to seeing you guys then. Bless you.